everyone, and welcome to episode 88 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Cabana, joined as always by David Smith, and yes, we are back. Season 3 of Positive Regression, and we are looking toward the 2021 season. We're going to talk big picture things, like the biggest names, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, and Chase Elliott. Plus, on this episode, the real effect we expect added road courses to have this year. But first, as always, this is episode 88 of Positive Regression. This is the Dale Jarrett edition. Frequent listeners will know we covered Dale Jarrett's career pretty extensively back in episode 56, but it never hurts to re-examine what exactly he did at an older age. He did not climb into this 88 car, David, until age 39, and it was from that moment he really became a Hall of Famer. Yeah, 24 wins between 1996 and 2001. Those were his best years behind the wheel of that 88 car. They won the 1999 championship, the Robert Yates Racing 88 team, two Daytona 500s and two Brickyard 400s. Uh, All of that in and of itself, Hall of Fame worthy. I interviewed him and his crew chief during this time, uh, Todd Parrott, last year for an all-encompassing article about the team's foundational first season. And they spoke to how they had truly unlimited resources. We hear about it a lot, but it's mostly fictionalized. This one was real. It was a Ford factory effort. But these two men also had relentless work ethics and competitive streaks on par with what we heard about Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And it all stemmed from an insecurity that Dale Jarrett had. He he admitted this to me. He never believed his talent was that of Dale Earnhardt or Jeff Gordon or the Labonte brothers. So he was compelled to work harder in hopes of closing that gap. And a memorable number, a memorable paint scheme. I just, again, you know, child, children of the nineties that we are, right? We, uh, <laughs> I remember Dale Jarrett in that green interstate batteries car and then going over to the Yates thing, but then showing up with this red, white, and blue number 88. It, it was big. It was different, right? The font was different. Ford quality care didn't quite know what that was, right? It was a mystery. And then all of a sudden he starts going out there and becoming a player, right? All of a sudden he's competing with the Jeff Gordons of the world, not just for wins, but for titles. So it was so memorable. When he jumped in that that eighty eight car, and David, one other thing I want to point out, you know, we are we applaud him so much. We remember Dale Jarrett for really excelling right at this late stage of his career. I was just thinking about his dad, Ned Jarrett. The, the big story with him is Ned Jarrett won two championships and then got out of the car at age thirty three. Kind of the opposite of what his son did. So it's just weird to think about that. Between the two of them, one solid career. If you wanted to combine <laughs> it, uh, just one general Jarrett. Um, but you're right. Everything about that era was memorable. Um, sort of the, the outward fighting, the infighting between him and the Hendrick Motorsports Rainbow Warriors crew. Another nugget of that article. Todd Parrott eventually bought the Rainbow Warriors pit crew to come pit for the 88 team. That's how much of a, a financial war this was in the NASCAR Cup Series in the late 90s. Pretty pretty remarkable. The beginning of Positive Regression Season 3 starts with Episode 88, the Dale Jarrett edition. Let's get this one started. 
David, it's 2021, and we got a few more weeks before we hit the track in Daytona. So let's talk about big picture in the Cup Series, because when we look back on 2020, there are certainly drivers that stand out for different reasons and why we need to talk about them heading into 2021. First one we're going to talk about, David, is someone who, I don't know, didn't quite show up in 2020, right? Sort of an off year. We're talking Kyle Busch. Just the one win last season, a significant drop-off in terms of, you know, what you would expect of him, a significant drop in wins, top fives, top tens. It, it led to a crew chief change after many successful years with Adam Stevens. That's now been switched. And maybe, look, potentially a new outlook for Kyle Busch and the 18 squad as we look toward 2021. Um, but, David, even though last year he wasn't a player, right, he just wasn't up in that echelon of the Denny's and the Harvick's constantly competing for wins, certainly not competing for the title as he made an early playoff exit. But do you think Kyle Busch still had an impact last year on the competition, even if the stats weren't there? Oh, goodness. Y- yes, yes. How we each individually rank Kyle Busch among the greats of the sport that's largely subjective, right? Whatever you think of him is what you think of him. But only a handful of the sport's brightest stars can impact seasons and championship pictures simply by not showing up. And his absence last year, relative, of course, that that absence from regular win contention opened things up. And it's partly why... Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott looked not only good, but downright dangerous at times. I know that that is tough to process, but this is something that happens frequently in our sport. And a comparison that I like to draw is the 1992 Cup Series season. It will forever be hailed as this wide open, feel good year the final race had, what, Alan, seven drivers mathematically eligible to win the championship at Atlanta. And it all happened organically. But let's not kid ourselves. The reason Alan Kowicki and Davey Allison and Bill Elliott all came together to have this season for the ages is because Dale Earnhardt, frankly, did not show up. That year was the outlier in a five-year stretch in which he won four championships. You know where he finished in points that year, Alan? He finished 12th. 12th. Yes, I remember. 12th. Because my boy Rusty also didn't show up that year, so I'm going to throw him in the conversation. With with, with just one win, too. And, And a season so bad that it forced... RCR into this uncomfortable place. They had to part ways with crew chief Kirk Shelmerdine, an all-timer, probably a Hall of Famer, but they had to make that move. And Bush's irrelevance, I'll call it, falls into the same category, whether we're willing to admit it or not. Once the real Kyle Bush, the, the competitive Kyle Bush that we know and tend to hate shows up, <laughs> we are playing a different ball game. And, and that is certainly something to watch out for in 2021. All right. So, it, it, I mean, if he comes back, well, he's still Kyle Bush, right? You can throw out all those, uh, those, those tropes and sayings. He's still Kyle Bush. He knows how to drive a race car, right? You don't expect him to be down for too long. But when you, I mean, we, we look at the, 
the baseline stats, right? The wins, the top fives and all that. David, obviously on this podcast, people know what to expect. We know the work you do. You look a little deeper at his advanced stats. What were they like in 2020 in terms of the performance? Was he off, right? I mean, we know the, the, the numbers were off in terms of wins. What were his passing numbers? Whatever metrics you want to look at, were they off in 2020? And do they bounce back? Should we expect something similar in 2021? How do you look at that? Yeah, just look at the rankings. He ranked eighth in peer. That's a big dip from being first or second every year since 2015. Peripherally, he ranked seventh in surplus passing. He was 10th in restart retention rate. I'd take both of those. You know, for a frame of reference, Kevin Harvick ranked ninth uh, in restarts. So not far off of the guy that won nine times. And Kyle's crash frequency was elevated. He crashed... 0.31 0.31 times per race. That was the 12th highest rate. And he ranked eighth in central speed across all tracks and sixths on the 750 horsepower tracks. So he had a lot of rankings that suggest Kyle Busch, even in a down year, was a top 10 guy. Not elite within the context of the season, but he wasn't so far off that improvement isn't believable. And 2021 peer projections are out now, available on motorsportsanalytics.com. He's projected for the second best peer this season. And there's a lot of ways to take that. I think we're going to see something more closely resembling the normal Kyle Busch. But you and I talked last year after their playoff elimination about crew chief Adam Stevens and the negative impact his strategy often had on Bush, this situation with this 18 team, we know JGR is attempting to correct with new crew chief Ben Bishore, but some of the good news is that on paper, a return to what is normal appears doable. How now people are going to say, how do you know that working, working with a, or how can you predict that? How, what do you look at when trying to predict something like that with a rookie crew chief or someone who's never been behind the helm of a, a cup series team, much less a driver like Kyle Busch? What do you I'll look be honest. at? You, yeah, yeah, you can't because you don't know how those two driver and crew chief are going to be able to play off one another. We were told going into last season that Martin Truex had familiarity with James Small. It didn't yield the kind of success we're used to seeing. So there's always going to be skepticism when making this kind of move, especially when you are uh, abandoning a two-time title-winning crew chief. But Alan, as I argued last year, I think this is something that JGR had to do. Bush routinely lost to teams that were faster. And While that is something that is understandably frustrating, it is also 100% believable and sort of the whole point of the sport of stock car racing itself. Bush also was defeated often by teams much slower than his. Consider this, in three races in which Bush and the 18 team exceeded their single race speed ranking, he ranked 8th in speed in each of the races at uh, Charlotte, the 600, Texas, and Las Vegas. He finished fourth, sixth, and fourth in those races, respectively. Superficially, those are good days, and, and you take them. Until 
you realize the drivers who won those races were Brad Keselowski, Austin Dillon, and Kurt Busch, and they ranked worse in speed than Kyle Busch did, ranked 10th, 13th, and 15th in those races. Their teams had strategic designs that were far better than what Stevens produced. And that, you can understand, is a point of frustration for a driver like Kyle Busch, who pretty much thrives on winning. I suspect that Ben Bishore will have his hands full with all of this. If he gets the speed right, that's the measure correlating closest to average finish. That's more than half the battle. But eradicating those losses to slower teams, that is a must. A driver as talented as Kyle Busch shouldn't be losing to slower teams based on strategy calls, pit calls that don't fall under his jurisdiction. That is simply unacceptable. Kyle Busch looking for a bounce back. You can't waste these prime years of Kyle Busch. So 2021 will certainly be interesting. Next up, Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick coming off a season to David that I mean, we'll talk about for decades, right? I mean, it's an all-timer. He had nine victories, 20 top fives, all that, and no title. So for many reasons, we'll talk about it for a long time because it was a dominating season. It was uh, it was a beauty in terms of driver and crew chief performance and what they were doing out there on the track. But we will look back on it like, you know, we was it at the Golden State Warriors who broke the all-time wins record for the regular season, right? And then ended up win, not winning the title. So uh, you have to <laughs> you have to take the good with the bad, and that's why we'll remember the Kevin Harvick's 2020 season. Now, David, that said. We fully expect, I fully expect Kevin Harvick to come back and have a great 2021 season, but something has to change to win the title down the stretch, which made it curious when a few weeks ago I produced a YouTube video looking at title odds over at BetMGM. And right now, David, Kevin Harvick is still the betting favorite to win the title in 2021. And that surprised me only because if you know the playoff format, you know that was not the strength going down the stretch at the end of the year. So no matter how strong you may be in races 1 through 35 or 1 through, say, 30, if you're not strong in those last few in the playoff, I don't see how you can be the betting favorite. And yet he still is, David. What would you think of that? I am I am silently nodding my head to everything that you're saying. Uh, from my observation, initial betting odds are never – imaginative. Uh, and, and specifically for NASCAR, it takes time for them to resemble something logical after there is a significant change. And in this case, that change is the splitting of the rules package into two different sets of rules based on horsepower and track type. Now, Harvick's peer projection for this season ranks first among all drivers. That, I'll admit, has nothing to do with championship favorability. When I built Pier way back when, I was a talent scout. It was purely for driver evaluation. It still is. And there's a really good chance that he'll be, if not the best driver outright this season, certainly the most productive in terms of results, all equipment considered. That doesn't necessarily weave with how NASCAR is crowning champions. And when you consider the evidence of other teams, Hendrick and Penske 
especially pivoting towards some kind of specialization in the 750 package, uh, the, the track type most prevalent now in deciding the championship, then it's fair to question whether Harvick really is a favorite for the title. Certainly, especially, you know, given the format and given everything you just said, but it also surprised me. I know you just explained the difference between peer projections, driver performance, and who may be a favorite for the title. But David, in terms of fall off, when you look at what he did last year, that to me, I mean, again, being an all-time season, that has to be something of an outlier, right? You would expect some sort of regression, but per your preseason predictions or projections, he's regressing to still be the best driver in the series. It's, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. How, how much fall off will there be, yet he may still be the best one out there? Yeah, we've pointed out before, uh, not that they are weaknesses, but now compared to maybe 2014 or 2016, he isn't as prolific a passer or restarter as he once was. And when you're discussing a driver and team consistently in the thick of it for race wins, those details, the, the, those, those small numbers can really affect the prospect of a result. And what he and Rodney Childers have done, Childers has recognized situations in which Harvick was ill-suited and last year specifically used successive yellows, competition cautions, whatever. They they won the fifth race of the season, so they were qualified for the playoffs very early, and that diminished the need for stage points. So Childers saw to it to move Harvick from one spot in the running order to another, usually toward clean air, and Harvick near clean air on short or intermediate runs is the most dangerous version of Harvick. And I dare say there's no one right now who's better in that specific scenario. But to avoid situations in which he doesn't thrive, like if Harvick needed to pass cars on a long run to get a result, that's going to be tough sledding, so say his numbers. But he hasn't been asked to do that in such a long time. I don't see a reason why this can't continue for at least one more year. Uh, Harvick really doesn't make errors. He he rarely crashes. Uh, five times out of the last six seasons, he had a crash frequency lower than 0.2. That's 0.2 times per race. A driver who's both historically fast, like he is, and mistake-free is a driver who is routinely in the mix for wins and top fives. So some fall off, sure, but still in contention. One thing, potentially, maybe, that's what we're going to talk about right now, that could hinder him or his potential success is, look, there's a schedule shift to more road courses, right? I believe seven, at least right now. Uh, COVID has already added one to the schedule, so who, who knows what maybe could happen in the future. But we, we know there are going to be more road courses than ever on the schedule. That's addition, David, addition of road courses. But when you add road courses, you're also subtracting some other racetracks out there. And I think what the focus may be for Kevin Harvick is the fact that uh, some of his best tracks are are no longer there. Is that a fair way to look at it? No more Indianapolis Oval, no more Michigan, uh, Texas lost a race. Uh, yeah, it's going to be difficult. It, it, Kentucky too. Uh, SHR won at Kentucky last year with Cole Custer. So these are desirable tracks for for the four team. Um, yeah, there's, there's going to have to be 
an adjustment. And you know what? We'll we'll put it out there. He's been terrible on road courses. Ooh. Stuart Haas as a whole, uh, objectively awful the last few years. And I can go into detail. Harvick had the third least efficient surplus passing value on road courses among all drivers across the last two years. Not great, but also I doubt SHR stood pat on what they're producing for road courses during the offseason. Harvick is 45 this year, and if anyone does, he has the sway to tell his superiors at SHR that you can chill with your next-gen car program. <laughs> I I don't know how much longer I have. I'm here to win right now. Let's build to win right now. And he is a former road course race winner. He's not completely lost in the weeds. It just hasn't come to the surface lately. And based on everything else that we've seen of him and his team's ability to optimize the driver that he is right now and not the driver that he once was, I feel like there will be plenty of production regardless of the schedule change. And you know what? Even to a greater extent, the the skewing towards 750 horsepower on the whole, I would argue that some of his mastery was suppressed by the 550 package, the things that make Harvick Harvick. Like when I think of him, I think of his cornering ability the way a driver is traditionally taught. You're, you're you're taught to squeeze the throttle and the brake. And in the last two years, he's been standing on the throttle through corners and not lifting. And that's a different way of driving. I think now that unique cadence uh, that's that's built around his deceleration techniques and if and if anything, his you know this specific talent it becomes more integral to the season. So yeah, the, those big tracks are gone. You know, that is, that is comfort food that is no longer on the plate for Stuart Haas. And that's tough, but there's no reason he shouldn't be competitive on the short tracks, knowing what we know of him. You mentioned his age, 45 years old. He will be, he's defied the numbers already, David, though. We, we talk about age 39 here all the time as in general or average, yeah, the peak performance for a driver comes at age 39 and drops off a cliff. In general, of course, there are outliers. Kevin Harvick is one of them, but year after year, David, now 45 years old. How long can he go with this? The honest answer is we don't know. And Stuart Haas is probably asking that very question. Harvick signed a two-year contract extension at the onset of last season. So in theory, that contract hasn't gone into effect yet because he was slated to become a free agent after this year. Because he and the agency he owns, Kevin Harvick Incorporated, uh, they oversee the Anheuser-Busch sponsorship, the Hunt Brothers sponsorship, and some of the other partners on that car what I assume is an eight-figure salary won't be nearly the albatross it could be if his ability takes a sharper than expected decline. Regardless, SHR has access to his brain, and he's a pretty thoughtful racer. That is someone good to have on your roster as the organization turns to a new era, builds a new car. That input is going to be valuable, even if it isn't clear 
in the win column, it certainly can be influential to what SHR does for the foreseeable future. All right. Kevin Harvick still going strong at age 45. And, and I mean, look, if you break down what David just said, uh, big projection still for 2021, even coming off a nine win season. We'll see what he does. Next up, the defending champion, Mr. Popular, young Chase Elliott. David, five wins last season, the walk-offs in Martinsville, in Phoenix to get the title at age 24. Such a young champion, uh, such a popular champion, obviously. Uh, a big uh, a boon for the sport if you believe having your uh, most popular driver as the champion is a good thing. But David, as always, you look deeper. And one of the conversations we had many times in the off season and just afterward was everything that Chase Elliott did, all the things he did right, all the speed that team had, he left some things on the table, meaning stats-wise, he probably underachieved. Do you want to go into that just a little further in terms of what he could have done last year that he ended up not doing, even despite all the success? Oh, I'm happy to. I wrote that uh, that article for motorsportsanalytics.com at the end of last year. I've seen where the argument's been rehashed on social media and elsewhere. But yeah, Chase Elliott could have conceivably won 10 times in 2020. Twice at Darlington, twice at Las Vegas, once at Bristol, the Coca-Cola 600, all of those come to mind, lost results for a multitude of reasons. Allen, he made history last year. Uh, in addition to his championship, he also did something else. He finished outside the top half of the field five times in races in which he led at least 5% of the laps. He is just the third driver to hit that uh, tally of ill repute of, of squandered <laughs> races, I'll call them, since 2005. And after all of that, he was still a deserving champion, the only driver ranked in the top five for peer surplus passing, restart retention rate, and speed. He was deserving even if it was a happy accident, as Bob Ross would say, a happy accident of the playoff format that helped him overcome all of what he seemingly failed to achieve. Interesting stuff. And yet he can still look back on the 2020 season as something pretty damn good. But can he do it again, David, in 2021? And by again, I don't mean do it again. I mean winning the championship. I mean, can he get away with that underachievement again? Can he leave some races on the table and still find that level of success? Because we know the format, right? I mean, again, at the end of the day, it's about wins and and, and getting the championship. You can play to the format and succeed in spite of of your mistakes or in spite of your underachievement. But if he does something similar again, can you get away with that? Can Chase Elliott underachieve again and still find that level of success? Yeah, this was your question to add into the notes. And I think my answer to that is maybe because <laughs> when, I mean, when you think about it, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the playoff format, the way in which we crown champions, it was designed to create game seven moments or so. We were told, but a byproduct of that is that the format can also act as a failsafe for poor performance. I would argue ill-timed performance in the case of Kevin Harvick is more impactful than the totality of, of bad outings. And we saw that last year. So 
Yeah. I mean, he, he, he could underachieve again. Anybody can really and still manage to win a championship in NASCAR. Now, having said all of that, we talked about Kyle Busch's irrelevance being relevant. His presence is a present. That's very Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> Kanye Bush. There you go. But the schedule <laughs> now being heavy on 750 tracks, like I doubt Joe Gibbs Racing and Stuart Haas spent the off season absent-mindedly tweaking their 550 programs, right? That would, that would be antiquated at this point. Hendrick and Penske caught these two juggernauts asleep at the wheel last year. And I don't think this year will resemble last year in that regard. We will see, if not the full extent, some of the ability that these other powerhouse programs have on the shorter tracks. And it might be that Chase Elliott's top end results, the, the way that he got them last year, uh, the magnitude in which he achieved them, that it won't be readily available this season. I think he's just going to be under fire. We now know what the formula is for a championship in a split horsepower series. And it, it it won't be just all his to hold. Is that part of the reason when I go on motorsportsanalytics.com, his peer projections for 2021 are actually a bit of a dip compared to what he did last year? Do you expect a, a, a dip? I mean, obviously you're expecting something of a dip in production from our champion, David? I think so, just because what we saw last year was the first time that we ever saw it. He was truly a complete driver we had seen inroads towards that, but it was never all at once. So when, when I'm making a projection like that, it's a regression analysis taking in his past production as well as the production habits of drivers his age. Young drivers like him do tend to stumble a lot. That said, Chase Elliott is very, very good. So don't always go blind by the projection. Let's see what he has to offer. The road course schedule certainly favors his talents. I think there are many reasons to be optimistic if you're a Chase Elliott fan. All right, good stuff. The 2020 champion with still room for improvement. We'll see what he does in the upcoming year. Alan, this episode of Positive Regression is sponsored by the Athlon Sports NASCAR Preview Magazine I think this speaks directly to our listeners. If you like this podcast, you'll probably enjoy the Athlon NASCAR preview. It is 144 pages of quality content. You see a lot of preseason annuals on the newsstands, lots of filler material. I'm looking at you, college football, but <laughs> this magazine, not the case. It includes features by Matt Crossman, including a cover story on 20 years removed since the death of Dale Earnhardt at Daytona, other feature stories by Matt Weaver, Jeffrey Miller, and Charles Crawl, and yours truly has two pieces. One is an exclusive interview with Ryan Blaney. We talked about his improvement as a driver, his restarting acumen, and the expectations placed on him as a result of that new long-term contract with Team Penske. I also analyzed the expanded road course schedule and identified the teams and drivers most affected by the schedule shakeup. The Athlon NASCAR preview is available on newsstands now. Check your local grocers, 
Walmart, Target, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, or you can order it online at athlonsports.com. That is A-T-H-L-O-N-S-P-O-R-T-S dot com. The Athlon Sports 2021 NASCAR Preview Magazine. Check it out. Old school feel when you go into the newsstand and buying the big season preview. A lot of work there. A lot of great, uh, a lot of great writers you just mentioned contributing to that. So go out and get that. You'll learn a lot. Something you touched on in that sports, uh, in the preview mag for the upcoming season, David, you just mentioned it. The road courses, the effect that they will have in 2021, only because there are so many. We can't say it enough because this is the first real, true, legitimate shakeup of the schedule in such a long time that it will play a factor. It will be a storyline throughout the year. And David, those road courses are a big part of that. So uh, we'll be, I know you, you should go out and get the athletic, uh, the Athlon preview mag. Uh, and get the whole, you know, get, get all the information you can. But David, we'll preview it just a little bit for the listeners right now because these road courses, they're going to help some people. They're going to hurt some people and it may be an X factor for some other teams. So let's, we'll, we'll touch on one or two on each of these guys. So if it's going to help anybody, this, the, the, ad, the addition of road courses, who's it going to be? You know, the easy thing to say is that there are seven road course races on the schedule now. So chalk up seven wins. For Chase Elliott. And yes, if you're, if you've been paying attention to anything the folks, uh, down at the Rolex 24 are saying, he is that good. But there are other road course drivers, other good ones. Is Martin Truex still alive? Does his right foot still work? I think he'll be viable <laughs> this year. Uh, but there's one emerging talent that we'll see perhaps as soon as this year. I think Elliott will have competition from his own stable, and that is young William Byron. Will he be? Ranked third in surplus passing value on road courses across the last two years. That is a span of five races. The only full-time drivers who ranked better were Martin Truex and Chase Elliott. It was Byron, not Elliott, who had the fastest Hendrick Carr in last year's Charlotte Roval race, and if not for a pit road speeding penalty, we might already be talking about a winning driver, but he's got the knack. Alan, do you remember when we qualified for starting spots? That that era. William, in 2019, secured front row spots in all three road course events. Wow. I he's driving coach. That. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes, he was there. He can cut a lap. His his driving coach is Max Pappas, and he he is a former winner of the Rolex Twenty Four. He consulted on the design of the Charlotte Roval. Stands to reason Byron knows a thing or two about that racetrack. And this schedule, the shift to seven fifty tracks and road courses, specifically suits Byron well. We're, we're going to have a predictions episode of positive regression before we get to Daytona, but I'll go out on a limb now with one very specific prediction for 2021. William Byron wins at least one road course race. Ooh, okay. Road course. Well, yeah, there's seven chances. That's not bad. All right. Uh, so William Byron definitely helps. Um, can I throw Chase Briscoe in there too? If there were ever a season for him to start as a rookie, Heck, maybe it even, maybe it made the decision a lot easier for SHR to bring Briscoe up at this moment because there were so many road courses 
on the schedule, but I, I think just personally, uh, that, 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 that'll help Briscoe as a rookie and maybe, you know, he can excel there. Uh, it, with having so many on the schedule, I think it, I think it helps pad some stats a little bit as, as compared to other potential rookie seasons and schedules. Can I put you on the hot seat? Oh, yeah. Is he already the best road course racer at SHR? I, come on. I can't give him that. He's never been in a cup race or, I mean, he's never been in a cup car. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not David Smith. I can't think like David Smith. If I did, it'd be a boring podcast. So I, I would have to imagine Harvick is up there, but if you want to make the case, I will certainly listen to you, David. I just wanted to put that out in the ether and I got you backtracking. So I'm pretty pleased with myself. <laughs> well, we'll see where it goes. I expect big things out of Briscoe. I'm trying to give him some credit, obviously. I don't know if he's the best at SHR already, but, uh, maybe, you know, you're smarter than I am at this stuff. So, <laughs> all right. Next up, we talked about who it helped. Who's it going to hurt? Uh, I think there's a, there's a bunch of people, right? I mean, road course racing is not everyone's forte. And then if you, uh, damn near double the number of tracks and road course races on the schedule. It's going to hurt somebody. Someone's not going to like it. Who are you looking at specifically though, David? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to shift to welcome North Carolina. Look at Richard Childress racing. Alan RCR's best road course finish since 2018. Do you have any guess as to who achieved it? Uh, mm, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I do. I blew it. Who is it? I blew it for you. It's Kaz Grala, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it was such an outlier that I, I mean, I figured that's where you're going. So I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> All good. No, he finished seventh on the Daytona road course last year. I'm guessing he wasn't aware he'd be in the car until the night prior, right? Uh-huh. Filling in for Austin Dillon. Look, this is great if you're Kaz Grala. It's not so hot. If you're RCR, <laughs> you're probably not thrilled about the fact that your regular drivers can't perform on road courses. And now, as you said, that's a problem that could potentially compound. Uh, Austin Dillon has 15 career road course starts to his name. He's yet to finish inside the top 15. And... Not that I'm surprised because he doesn't resonate as a road racing starlet by any means, but he doesn't have one, not one top 15 finish. And that seems difficult. RCR you can't is even genuinely... pit strategy into a top 15. I mean, that is I surprising. <laughs> no, this is, this is a competent program, right? I, although I do recall two years ago, it was, it was Dylan and Daniel Hemrick were, more or less uh, absent from the Watkins Glen race. I think both cars ranked something like 29th and 30th in central speed for the race, but there's, there's clearly work to be done here. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that we're seeing Austin Dillon compete this weekend in the Royal X 24 in an LMP two car that that's going to help. And there's also a higher hurdle for the organization in its playoff qualification. You know, the, the slew of, 550 tracks in which RCR could simply out strategize folks, uh, that's been diminished. I think boilerplate road course strategy that Paul Andrews upside down go to that's been in vogue for years, decades, that'll be called into question and it'll have to be. It'd behoove RCR to come up with something inventive this season on the road courses, uh, because Let's face it, there there is a need to do that. 
Certainly, especially with the schedule and given how it is. And again, I, I just, I think of what you were saying about uh, Harvick and SHR before, how addition is one thing, but subtracting the potential tracks where the, maybe they had a little success, uh, you know, like Cole Custer winning at Kentucky or just potential speed that RCR may have had on some of these ovals that are no longer there. Uh, it gets them both ways. So I, I like what you're saying about RCR in terms of, uh, it could potentially hurt in, in a few ways having all these road courses out there. So we talked about who it helps, who it hurts. David, uh, let you throw one more out there. Who, who could it help? You're convinced it'll help, uh, Willie, Willie B. You're convinced it'll hurt the RCR drivers, but who could all these road courses help out? Yeah, this is the less convinced, uh, category. Maybe it's a good thing. I honestly don't know, but I'm optimistic. I've been pushing off writing the Chip Ganassi racing SWOT analysis, uh, as, as part of the SWOT analyses I do every off season, in part because I don't know what this program's identity even is. It seems like a randomly assembled bunch of drivers and crew chiefs, none of whom are compatible. <laughs> but yeah, road courses, Alan. That's the ticket, right? Kurt Busch is not a road racer per se, but he will have these days. He'll have these moments. He drove a disciplined and efficient Roval race, which was remarkable given the general tenor of that event last season. He finished fourth. And he talked uh, that week during the buildup about not having pressure on him. He had won Las Vegas. He was locked into the next round of the playoffs. And he cared not for the importance of the Roval race because he didn't have to. But he displayed that he has the ability to drive these races rather cleanly when there was chaos all around him. And... The wild card that I think we do need to consider is Ross Chastain. I'm not particularly high on him going into this calendar season, but I I think I'm more optimistic than most on his road course ability. I mentioned Martin Truex, the most efficient road course passer among full-time drivers across the last two seasons. If we expand that to include everyone Ross Chastain was actually the most efficient. Hmm. 69 positions beyond what was expected. He did that in a backmarker car, but whatever turns out to be his ordinary milieu, his normal running whereabouts this season, I believe he can prove effective and efficient on the road courses. And if you'll recall, Ganassi was making inroads on road courses with Kyle Larson a few years ago, especially on the Roval. They were the fastest in practice. They were gunning for poles. Chastain might be the beneficiary of all that work. A fun sleeper pick, if you will, Alan. All right, good stuff, and a lot more to talk about. This is the first episode of our new Season 3 of Positive Regression, uh, but a great start, David. So it's good to be back, my friend. It's good to be back. Do not forget, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Luminary, and TuneIn. We are available no matter your device. 
Our entire catalog of back episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. Based on our download numbers in the offseason, a bunch of you were binging our episodes during the winter. That is so awesome. That is why they're there. Thank you so much for that. A lot of great conversations about NASCAR. It's all at your fingertips. Go back, listen, ask us questions on Twitter, whatever. Uh, we'll answer them for you. We'll go back. We love going back and talking those old episodes. So if you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating or a review. That stuff really does help spread the word about this podcast. We, of course, notice it is so appreciated. David, it is 2021. The world has changed a lot for all of us. What are you working on? Because I know you're busy. Yeah, I'm busy on motorsportsanalytics.com. Every year, I produce these SWOT analyses for every top NASCAR program. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. I'm at five and counting at the time of recording. Uh, they'll roll through Speed Week, so keep your eyes out for that. I've also been covering and previewing the Rolex 24 at Daytona for Forbes. I have stories on Wayne Taylor Racing. That is the defending race winner returning to Daytona with a completely different driver roster and a new manufacturer. Uh, and a story on Pole Sitter Action Express Racing. And coming up, an exclusive interview with IMSA president John Doonan. So if you... Fancy the sports cars. I believe uh, all of that will fall in your wheelhouse. All right. Good stuff. Working hard as always. 2021 will be a new venture for me, but I promise I will still be around, be out there, be relevant. So make sure you just follow me on Twitter. Follow me. I uh, started a YouTube page and starting producing some content on there that I hope to uh, add to. And uh, it's just fun being on here with David again as we look toward another season. I uh, It'll be a different role for me in 2021, but it, it uh, I'll still be around. So more to come on that, I promise you. So uh, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Alan Kavana and keep you updated on all of that. But like I keep saying, David, it's just good to be back. Positive regression is here. 2021 is here. The Daytona 500 just around the corner. It's been a good first episode. Certainly more to come this season. We'll see you soon. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today.